Hi, this is Dr. Mercola, and welcome to our Take Control of Your Health podcast, in which we bring you the latest cutting-edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. This next interview is part of my Best of series, which features some of the most popular interviews with leading health experts. So thank you for listening. Now let's get started with this week's program to help you and your family take control of your health. Hi, this is Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are joined by Dr. Andrew Saul, who has been a guest on previous interviews and is the uh, editor-in-chief of the Orthomolecular News Surface and also has written the book, Doctoring Yourself, for which we've done a previous interview. But today he's joining us to discuss a, a article that was written in the New York Times, which is re uh, representative of the general theme about conventional media about supplements. So he's going to basically break down that article. So welcome and thank you for joining us, Dr. Saul. Well, thank you, Dr. McCullough. And you know, it's shooting fish in the barrel. When you look at an article that starts out in the New York Times saying older Americans are hooked on vitamins. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. Boy, it's gotta be dangerous. Nothing like being hooked to opioids is killing 60,000 Americans a year and the leading cause of death for Americans under 50. That's just crazy. But no, they're hooked on vitamins, <laughs> not, and not opioids. The funny thing is that for those that are hooked on opioids, high doses of vitamin C have been shown in two really good studies to enable people to get off opioids without withdrawal symptoms or greatly reduce withdrawal symptoms. So being hooked on vitamin C would actually help you get unhooked from heroin. <laughs> yes, indeed. You know, here's another interesting fact that we could diverge on for a moment, that if you are taking vitamin C and you're hooked on it, you've gotta be careful if you go to the dentist because vitamin C is a very important detoxifier and if you're taking large doses, they'll try and they're, and they're going to give you a local anesthetic. You're not going to, it's not going to work that well because you're going to break it down so quickly. Have you, have, you, have you observed that at all? I have. And when I go to the dentist, I do take a lot of extra vitamin C to reduce problems and promote healing and make myself more comfortable and make the gums heal quicker, the bleeding less, and the pain reduce. But, you, but you're absolutely right because vitamin C is that good a detox. You may actually need a little bit more of the Novocaine or the equivalent that they give, or even a little bit more of the nitrous. But that's a relatively safe adjustment to make. When you consider that if you have a tooth extraction or a root canal or anything that's really invasive, vitamin C is the dentist's best friend because nothing makes gums stronger, quicker than vitamin C. Not only oral vitamin C, but you can even take non-acidic vitamin C, such as calcium ascorbate, or magnesium ascorbate or sodium ascorbate and put that right on the gums. You can even put it right in the socket. People that have dry sockets or extended bleeding, when they use vitamin C topically, not ascorbic acid, mind you, but non-acidic C topically, they get immediate relief. It was Dr. Hugh Reardon at the now famous Reardon Clinic who brought some of this forward decades ago. It's good advice. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you for that insight. A useful one indeed, because most of us uh, have an occasion to visit, visit the dentist. So why don't we go back to shooting fish in the barrel and uh, tell us a little bit about this article that was published and why it's just 
so outrageous? Well, the article, Older Americans Are Hooked on Vitamins, is put out by the very same New York Times that does a wonderful job on crossword puzzles, but is not doing a very good job on fact-checking. The, the Times has laid off or fired a very large number of copy editors, and in my opinion, this article is a good example of a piece that should have been properly copy-edited and fact-checked and wasn't. For example, they mention that studies actually have linked high-dose vitamin E with a higher risk of prostate cancer. <laughs> now, the reason this is so weird is because if you look at the studies that show a very tiny and possibly questionable increase in prostate cancer among people in this particular study, first of all, they were using synthetic vitamin E, mm -hmm. not the natural E. Secondly, the dose was pretty low. But the salient point here is there have been studies using natural vitamin E with all four tocopherols and all four tocotrinols. And these are the studies that they did not quote. Why? Because there's not one but two studies that show that tocotrinol, specifically gamma tocotrinol, actually prevents prostate cancer and even kills prostate cancer stem cells. Now, that has got to be newsworthy. And the New York Times decided that's news that is not fit to print. Yes, indeed. So uh, any other uh, points that they make that weren't properly fact-checked? Well, yes. Uh, one of the comments in the article is that Americans get plenty of essential nutrients in their diet. Now, I don't need to get you started on that one, do I? No. <laughs> well, they do get some, or they used to get more, of course. Well, the but thing here that's funny is that uh, most Americans get plenty of the essentials anyway, this article says. The Western diet is not short on vitamins. Now, remember, we're talking elderly here, and this is demonstrably nonsense. Mm -hmm. The elderly tend to have poor diets in general, especially those that live alone mm -hmm. or those that are institutionalized. Depression has a lot to do with appetite. As people get older, their sense of smell and therefore their sense of taste diminishes. The elderly don't even get enough water. Their urge to drink, their sense of thirst goes down. So if they're not eating proper meals because they're sad or they're depressed or they're lonely or they're just getting mediocre care, then they can't possibly get enough nutrients because even the paltry amount of nutrients in an American diet is not there if you don't even eat the American diet. On top of this, the elderly have problems with at least one vitamin, and it's a big one, and that is B12. B12 absorption gets worse the older you get. And we know that Alzheimer's symptoms are extremely similar to the symptoms of B12 deficiency. In fact, clinically, I'm not sure a physician can tell the difference. So if B12 absorption is poor, and if the elderly are not eating proper meals and balanced meals and good meals either, the amount of B12 going in an older person is going to be low. So for the article to say that it's an abundant nutrient for the elderly is, is absolutely not true. Well, there's the other consideration too that uh, make giving them the benefit of the doubt and assuming that the elderly were in fact uh, non-frail and had access to good food and were mobile and uh, really eating a, a pretty significant amount of food, 
like the, like the typical American does. And the typical American, of course, is also nutritionally deficient because most of the soils are, are not nutrient-dense soils anymore. They're depleted because of the agricultural farming practices. And it's not that we are deficient in calories by any stretch of the imagination. No, are, no, that's not We our are problem. not deficient in calories, but we are deficient in nutrients, which is a completely different component. So, you know, but you, you do bring up an interesting point that most of the elderly tend to actually decrease their amount of, of even the rotten food that most people are eating. So exactly. it gets even worse. It gets even worse, especially with the, when you, uh, drop onto that, the B12 impairment absorption. Right, and in the article, it actually says it twice, that the nutrients are there, the nutrients are in food, the nutrients are abundant, and they're not paying any attention to the title of the article. If older Americans are hooked on vitamins, this is saving their lives. This, this is a good idea. Dr. Abram Hoffer asked me years ago to write a paper on can supplements take the place of a good diet? And my comment was, well, they're going to have to, because people eat such lousy diets. If they're going to eat lousy diets, it's better to have a lousy diet and take supplements than to have a lousy diet without supplements. The solution, really, is to have a really good diet. Mm -hmm. But I don't have to tell you what a hospital diet looks like or what a nursing home diet looks like, or even you don't have to tell me what a school lunch diet looks like. These are really, really poor meals, and you have exactly the wrong nutrients in abundance, the calorie nutrients, and then you have a, a dearth of the micronutrients. One more thing, with the article, it talks about how there's an abundance of nutrients, everybody gets enough. With magnesium, the mineral magnesium, if you look over decades of studies, uh, NHANES studies and all kinds of very large-scale studies of what people eat, Magnesium deficiency is probably the most common mineral deficiency in the United States, and it may be one of the very most common nutrient deficiencies. Almost no Americans get the U.S. RDA of magnesium. Almost everyone comes up below the RDA. Some are moderately below it, and some aren't even close. So magnesium deficiency, with its attendant problems with sleeping and mood, uh, blood pressure, cramping, spasms. This is a problem that exists for magnesium. And the other one is vitamin D. Now, vitamin D deficiency is so prevalent in the elderly that half of the people hospitalized for hip fractures are demonstrably and measurably vitamin D deficient. What's really interesting is that the article says that taking extra calcium <laughs> did not help fractures. Imagine that. That's, that's not the point. It's extra vitamin D and vitamin K that help put the calcium where it needs to be. They didn't mention that. And I found this very interesting. Blue Cross Blue Shield published a, a study that talked about how the elderly who take vitamin D supplements not only have fewer fractures, they don't fall as often. So vitamin D actually helps prevent the fracture by preventing falling. People think, oh, yes, falling in the elderly. It's a serious problem. 30% of falls are fatal. Over 65,000 Americans a year die because they fell. And this is a huge public health problem, not to mention a risk for grandma and grandpa. Absolutely. So you mentioned vitamin D and magnesium. And I think those are probably the two most common and important nutrient deficiencies. And yes. uh, also some of the 
indications or the complications of re resulting from a magnesium deficiency. But a, but a new one that speculated it now, but I think there's a good chance that it's true, uh, is based on a pernicious toxin that we're all exposed to. It's called electrical pollution. And mm -hmm. EMFs are pervasive and basically we are um, deceived and misinformed by the media and the public health authorities that it's safe. And as a result of this toxic exposure, uh, we're causing oxidative damage very similar to the, the smoking. And in many ways, uh, cigarettes or cell phones are the new cigarettes of the 21st century. So the, going back to magnesium, there's some speculative mechanisms that if you have enough magnesium, it will actually serve as a calcium channel blocker, which it appears to be the, one of the primary mechanisms that EMFs uh, uh, result or, or are able to um, cause the damage of their, this oxidative stress. So it can lower that damage if you have enough magnesium. And as you mentioned, virtually no one has enough magnesium. Now, I, I'd like to, to, to take a tangent and discuss this with you because you and I are both obviously ma major fans of magnesium supplementation, but like everything in life, there's a Goldilocks dose. And oral magnesium, of course, has a laxative effect. It's used as a laxative. Milk of magnesia is a laxative. If you take too much, you're going to have loose stools. So if you have loose stools, that's a complication too. You're going to upset and distress your microbiome. So would you like to address that fine balance between getting the optimal dose of magnesium and, and the stress in your microbiome? Yes, that's an excellent question. And it's such a practical thing to talk about because just about everybody can benefit from an Epsom salts bath. <laughs> and I was raised with these. My father was a big believer in hydrotherapy. He didn't call it that by name, but hot baths or foot soaks, you name it, he loved it. And we learned that a magnesium bath, an Epsom salts bath, magnesium sulfate, is a good way to relax sore muscles. You can absorb magnesium transdermally. There has been some research that argues that you can't, but most of that was using very low doses of a magnesium cream. We don't see a lot of studies on Epsom salts baths because, Joe, I'm here to tell you there's not a lot of money in magnesium sulfate when you can buy six pounds for six bucks and that'll give you a month of baths. So transdermal magnesium absorption is not gonna have a laxative effect and you don't even have to take mm -hmm. any pills. Plus it's fun and it's relaxing and it's gonna work in so many ways. With the magnesium forms, the worst form of magnesium in terms of absorbability would be magnesium oxide. That is the most common form available to consumers. And even magnesium oxide will work because people are so desperately deficient. But far better than magnesium oxide would be magnesium gluconate, magnesium citrate, or magnesium chloride. The last one is gonna be the most absorbable. If people are taking magnesium in small doses divided doses, they're less likely to disturb their belly, they're more likely to have this work out smoothly. Some people don't need to take a lot of extra magnesium, others do. It's really a matter of a therapeutic trial. I would start small, take your magnesium between meals, and see when you feel better. And that is simply a matter of trial and error. The beauty of this is, is that even if you make a mistake, the worst thing that's gonna happen is you're gonna have a little loose stool. And most people can easily avoid that by dividing the dose. Okay, so you uh, didn't mention two of my favorite magnesium supplements, which are ma magnesium malate 
mm. or malic acid, because the malic mm -hmm. acid is a Krebs cycle intermediate and it may, may be useful to help increase ATP production. And then uh, magnesium threonate, because of mm -hmm. uh, the, the documented improvements in penetrating blood brain barrier. Absolutely right. I'm glad you added those in. Yeah. So, and I've got an interesting aside about Epsom salts. I mean, I've been toying with the last few months of getting a flotation tank in my home, which um, is about a thousand gallons and a thousand pounds of magnesium salt, Epsom, uh, Epsom salts. So you could float in that, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to do it, but, but I'm, and maybe you can send me some of those studies that show the increased absorption because you're right, that's the ideal way to get it transdermally, and it would seem that if you're floating in it for an hour, you're gonna get a significant dose of magnesium. But I, I don't know if there's any studies on it. Well, I think that we can just go backwards and infer the rest. Normally, when you use magnesium sulfate or Epsom salts, they'll tell you to use about a cup of it in the average hot bath, which mm -hmm. I would assume would be around 15 gallons. So if, you, uh, if you've got the moxie to go for a thousand pounds of it, go for it. <laughs> but my guess is that you probably would not have to go to such lengths to enjoy the benefits. <laughs> well, there's other benefits too, you know, the relaxation component and improve, oh, supposedly sure. improving the autonomic nervous system. But uh, it would seem to be a radically effective way to increase your magnesium levels. But like anything in life, there's a fine balance. There's this Goldilocks dose. Mm -hmm. And it's almost impossible to overdose on magnesium orally because you'll, you'll poop it out. Mm -hmm. Now, you can certainly do that intravenously, but my guess is that if you're getting transdermally and there's not this feedback loop, that you might actually exceed a therapeutic level. Well, we don't have any studies showing that that happens. Most yeah. of the complaints are, and most of the comments in the medical literature are, that the magnesium's not really being absorbed at all. Yeah. So I think that's not true. I think it is being absorbed. I think the human body's actually pretty smart, and you know from all of your years of experience as a physician, that it's just amazing what the body knows how to do, right? And your body has an amazing propensity to take advantage of a nutrient and use it. So I'm a big believer in simply trying this and seeing how you feel. It was Dr. Dick Passwater that first put that idea to me in the late 70s in his wonderful book, Super Nutrition. Mm -hmm. He said to determine your dose of nutrients as you want to supplement with, start taking them, see if you feel better. If you do, take a little more, and if you feel still better, then use the higher dose. And if you don't feel any better, Back go to the lower dose that gets the most results. Yeah, mm -hmm. I just love that, it's so simple. We can all do this. Yes, we can. So and should. <laughs> and that doesn't mean you're hooked on vitamins, folks. No, no. It means that you're an intelligent human being. And how intelligent? Well, at least half of all Americans are taking vitamins every day. And with the elderly, it may be as high as two-thirds. I have heard unofficially that among physicians, three out of four doctors take supplements regularly. They just don't talk about it. Yes, indeed. So one of the supplements that I, or minerals that I used when I was practicing was magnesium intravenously. And when patients would come in with an acute migraine or mm -hmm. an acute infection, or asthma attack, we would give them IV magnesium and probably some hydrochloric acid in there too. And it was amazing. When you give high levels of magnesium acutely, it, is, it has a very potent vasodilatory effect and your blood vessels just open up. And if you give it too quickly, they'll, it's almost like a niacin flush. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. But it's just amazing the high percentage of acute abortions of the migraine attack or the asthma attack or their, their cough or cold that they can make was just gone. It, right. it was just shocking. And it's equally amazing if you've taught school or raised a family or taught to teachers, how many people suffer, how many girls suffer from menstrual cramps. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really a problem. And we're not just talking inconvenience. Now, being men, we don't really understand the nuances here, but I am reliably form, informed <laughs> that uh, menstrual cramps can take you out. I and mean, there are women that have to go to bed for several days because the cramping is that bad. And you never hear a mention of magnesium as a preventive for that. 99% of teenage girls do not get the RDA of magnesium, just to underscore what we said earlier. The deficiency of this mineral is really serious. Yes, indeed. So we basically everyone watching this could benefit from taking a good quality magnesium supplement on a regular basis and just moderate the dose to make sure you don't have loose stools. It's about the only side effect. That's uh, right. And it's back, back off if you do. So uh, any other comments on the nutrients? Well, I'm glad you asked. Yes, as a matter of fact, there's the one where they bring out the old saw and uh, relax now and take a deep breath because you've heard this one for at least 15 years and it doesn't die easily, does it? That beta carotene mm. causes cancer. Now, this is based on some studies back in the 1990s that showed that a certain population of men in Finland when given 20 milligrams of beta carotene a day, which by the way is not very much, it's the amount that would be in uh, maybe three carats. This showed an increase, a very small, but widely touted increase in cancer in this bunch of men. But what is played down as they were smokers. Yeah, it's the smoker study, right? They were smokers. So people say to me, um, beta carotene can cause cancer. No, smoking causes cancer. Well, beta carotene can be harmful. No, cigarettes are harmful. Smoking is what's harmful to smokers. The problem, folks, is not the carrots. It's the camels. Yes, and it was the fact that it was synthetic, which probably is another significant variable. So, so natural beta carotene would have never done that. Synthetic, probably in combination with the fact that they were smoking, was not a good combination. Right, indeed, Dr. Abram Hoffer commented on this, and he said one of the groups actually, uh, that was given the beta carotene, that particular group had been smoking one year longer than the men in the other group, and that wasn't discussed in the article. Yeah. What would a year of heavy smoking do to you? I don't think that would help. I don't think that would be good. Dr. Hoffer also mentioned that they did not check to see if these people had precancerous conditions. They went into the study, uh, it looked like they didn't have cancer, but cancer doesn't just pop up there in, in a week. This is, if someone has been smoking for 10, 20, 30 years, these precancerous or even hard to track truly cancerous changes are already in place. Therefore, the study is a bad study and therefore the New York Times should know better than to quote it and they not only quote it, they, they kind of misquote it because they don't use the word smoker if you're hooked on cigarettes, you're going to have problems. If you're hooked on vitamins, you're not. And this brings us to the fundamental question of who kills what and what wastes money. Consumer Reports estimates that $200 billion a year is spent on incorrect harmful medication. 
The entire food supplement industry worldwide is one-fifth of that at most. <laughs> and that's the highest estimate I've ever seen. So we are wasting huge amounts on, on giving drugs that are harmful and complaining about the people that are doing good preventive care and taking their vitamins. Well, I've got to stop you there because it, does, it doesn't stop it harmful. It stops it people dying from these complications of these drugs. And obviously, as the one I quoted earlier, most of those opioid deaths are prescription deaths. Yes, there's some recreational use and street drug use, but most of it is, is actually prescription-based medications. But that's, just take the opioids out, and you know, the leading cause of death in adults under 50. Uh, what about the, what's, what's your, your take on the current stats on deaths from medications versus deaths from supplements? Mm. You know, I really appreciate that question, and I'm glad you asked it. <laughs> Harvard School of Public Health, most people consider them to be fairly reliable, has looked at this six ways from Tuesday. And we know how many people die every year in hospitals from pharmaceuticals properly prescribed and taken as directed. The lowest estimate is around 85,000 people a year. The high estimate is around 135,000 people a year. The generally accepted estimate is about 106,000 people a year. Now that's 106,000 dead Americans every year from properly prescribed drugs, not medical errors, taken as directed, not overdose. In 10 years, that's a million people dead from normal side effects. With vitamin supplements, we know from checking the American Association of Poison Control Centers, who have been feeding this information for over 30 years now, that there have been 13 alleged deaths from vitamins in 31 years. My team looked into this, and we could not find substantiation, documentation, proof, or convincing evidence of one single death. Vitamins were taken by a person who died from a drug and they blame the vitamin along with the drug. I don't think that's necessarily how you should do it. So when we looked into it, we found out there had been zero deaths from vitamins in the last 31 years. The American Association of Poison Control Centers this year actually changed the reporting. They removed the vitamin category because I kept pointing out to people that there were always zeros. AAPCC changed the way they report the tables this year. I'm gonna take the credit for that or the blame, or maybe it was placebo effect. Personally, I think they got tired of the Orthomolecular Medicine News Service saying, no deaths from vitamins, no deaths from minerals, no deaths from amino acids, no deaths from herbals, no deaths from homeopathic substances. These alternative treatments are effective, they're safe, and they're cheap. And I wanna emphasize they are safe. People are dying in our land and in our world because we're giving them dangerous drugs. Dr. Abram Hoffer said, drugs make a well person sick. Why would they make a sick person well? Absolutely, brilliantly stated, and thank you for providing that information. And I'd like to expand on that by stating that, and, and emphasizing that this was properly prescribed drugs. Right. Overdoses, not overdoses, side effects from them. But what that doesn't, in the 30 year period where there were zero deaths from supplements, or vitamins and minerals, more, more accurately, because there might have been some herbal things. I don't know if that was factored into it. 
but vitamins and minerals, zero deaths in 30 years. In 30 years of the drugs, it was probably three million of properly prescribed drugs just from the side effects. But what that fails to in incorporate is the fact that drugs in no way, shape, or firm, form virtually ever, ever address the primary reason why they're being prescribed. So the fundamental cause of the illness is being ignored, and as a result, my guess is the number of deaths by choosing that mode of treatment is at least 10 times higher. And you know, Joe, uh, a year ago, the New York Times had another article. And in this article, they mentioned that people are taking too many pills. And the name of that article is How Many Pills Are Too Many? It was published back in April, exactly a year ago, April 10th, 2017. So the New York Times isn't always getting it wrong. Here they were talking about the dangers of over-medication, over-prescription, the deaths and the injury from these drugs. Now they're changing their tune and trying to say, well, you know, the vitamins are the problem. No, they're not. The vitamins are not the problem, they're the solution. If we had better nourished Americans, we'd save a pile on our $3 trillion plus disease care bill. It's good that older Americans take supplements and I don't mean to do it foolishly. If you take a look, most people are actually smarter than we give them credit for. Taking a multivitamin, for instance, especially if it's a good quality natural multivitamin, is just a really good idea. Dr. Roger J. Williams, the discoverer of the B vitamin pantothenic acid, recommended nutritional insurance back in the 1950s. And he's not alone on this. For people that don't have a lot of money, a good natural multivitamin three times a day can be just the thing. When I taught in two state penitentiaries, I tried to get the inmates to get a multivitamin at the commissary, at the PX. They had to buy them with their own money and take that multivitamin every day. And I also said, cut down on sugar. Inmates were telling me they felt better. Now, what's the benefit to society when you have inmates that are actually getting physically and mentally more aware, more clear, as one inmate put it to me, more calm, more capable of being good citizens. That's what we want. The Chicago Tribune picked up this article not too long ago when we were calling for adding a multivitamin each meal to the prisoner's ration. The total cost to the state would be around 15 cents a day. How much does it cost to keep a prisoner in Joliet? How much does it cost to keep him in Sing Sing? A prisoner in Sing Sing, New York City, for one year, $120,000 for one inmate for one year. Nationally, in the prison system, it costs around $30,000 a year to keep someone in jail. Cost of vitamins, yeah, 65 bucks. Quite a difference indeed, but you know, uh, I doubt that Illinois could even afford 15 cents a day because they are on the verge of going bankrupt. Uh, and <laughs> you know, they, they don't, they, they can't pay their current liabilities, let alone any added ones. So, but it is sad. You're right. It's just a matter of redistrib redistributing the uh, resources that are already being allocated. So instead of spending it for all these other crazy things, they could allocate it to something that really does work. Uh, well, they could actually make some money if they brought back prison farms mm -hmm. and taught inmates agriculture. Inmates could grow organic food and save a lot of money to the taxpayer by not having to buy the junk food that they truck in in the semis. 
we could actually have healthy inmates. Now, a lot of people think, well, what are you, some kind of a bleeding heart liberal? What are you going to do, put felons in jail and make them healthy and do all this for them? <laughs> Look, let's take the politics out of it and get down to reality. The vast majority of inmates are going to get out. They're going to be released sooner or later unless you shoot them all. They're going to be released sooner or later unless they have a life sentence. And even if they have a life sentence, the people who work with them, the doctors, the guards, the nurses, the clerks, the warden, they're going to come home with the drug-resistant tuberculosis, with the drug-resistant diseases that are so prevalent in prisons. I worked in a prison where half of the female inmates were HIV positive. New York State admitted years ago that one in eight inmates tested positive for TB. I believe the tuberculosis rate in prisons in New York State now is nearly one in four. So if you work with this population, you're coming back to your community even if they don't. It's in our interest to be healthy no matter where we are. And I think we could save money for Illinois by instituting reform in how food is provided to prisoners. What, what do you have in a prison? You have this huge compound with this mm -hmm. unbelievably terrific fence. Mm -hmm. What a great place for a garden. Yeah. You've got all that space, a terrific fence, and lots of people to work on it. No gopher is going to get through that fence, no rabbit, no deer. Nothing's going to eat those crops. You can grow organic food, and we could transform the way we look at penal institutions, and we could make them into corrective institutions. That's great. Yeah, and even in places like Illinois, which has a fairly harsh winter, you could easily create greenhouses. Which and would... not only that, you can grow kale. Um, it's a joke here in my neighborhood because I'm the kale guy. Mm -hmm. uh, I give kale away to everybody and I bury the kale and I compost it and it grows up through the ground and it grows up through the compost pile. We have snow and the kale pushes up. We had snow yesterday and today. It's April. I'm in Rochester. And the kale is still pushing its way up. You cannot kill kale. So growing kale, uh, you don't even need a greenhouse. Yeah. There's so many things that we could do that we're not doing because we have not spoken up. We have not required change. We're too busy watching the news and listening to what the New York Times says about nutrition. No offense to the New York Times, but sure. since they fired so many of their copy editors, they need to do a better job fact-checking. The facts are in. Nutrition is a really good idea. Americans' nutrition is really lousy. So <clears throat> this termination of the copy editors, that it's occurred in the last year, was there anything that stimulated that? Was the transition in ownership of the Times? or? Well, it was financial difficulties. The Times had been having financial troubles for years. Uh, their stock prices had been going down, their profit had been going down, and they wanted to save money. So they eliminated the copy desk, and they got rid of about 100 copy editors, and there was a big protest at the New York Times. Nevertheless, it was a cost-saving measure, and it's not unheard of. The New York Times now is doing a good job with digital subscriptions. It's back uh, making money, not, not a lot. But I would like to suggest to people that if you are a reliable, reputable newspaper, the most important thing you need to do is not see that your bottom line is right, but to see that your facts are correct. Yeah, I want to get back to the uh, farming in the prisons. And I'm, you had mentioned that they had done this previously, and I'm wondering if 
you have awareness of uh, when that occurred and you know why it occurred because it does seem like a brilliant idea. I mean, they, everyone's got to eat, and why not put them to put them to productive work and give them a skill? I mean, to me, even if you're, I mean, forget if you're a prisoner, everyone should have the ability to grow their own food, like you, do, right. you and I do both do. You bet. Uh, where this started was uh, many, many years ago, back in the 1930s, prison farms were the rule, not the exception. In that vitamin movie, I'm actually filmed outside of a correctional facility in New York State, and across the street from that correctional facility is a farm now that is privately held that used to be a prison farm, and I know the people who live there. So here's an example of you had the prison and across the road you had farm and you had the animals and you had the crops and you had the equipment and people were learning trades because it's not just a matter of uh, taking a rake or a hoe or a shovel through some weeds or potatoes. You also have to learn to take care of animals. You have mm -hmm. to learn food storage. You have to learn veterinary medicine. You have to learn how to maintain vehicles. You have to learn about the weather. You have to be physically fit. You have to have discipline. You're going to get fresh air. You're going to get sunshine. What you have here is a system that was discontinued because it was cumbersome. Um, it's a lot easier to put them all in a small area and put a fence around them and put the guards in towers. But I have, again, been inside prisons, and I have seen the very large number of guards. And in my experience, that very large number of guards uh, is available to take this out. You can take your trustees, your most trusted prisoners, and get them out on sort of a work release with guards and very easily make this the thing to do. You know, some prisoners actually get with the program. I was teaching college courses in prison, and I had students that actually cared, that actually realized this was their chance. They could go to college in prison, and those who do never come back. The recidivism rate among educated prisoners is almost zero. So why not educate everybody? Like you said, Joe, they should learn how to grow their own food. What better life skill than that? We all should have that, that skill, there's no question. So is there any, uh, are you aware of any movement to have this occur in prisons? It seemed like it'd be a worthwhile project. Somewhere there are rumbles of this, but I don't have personal knowledge of it. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are places, there are communities, they're not only having community gardens, but they're also trying to get halfway houses or prisons interested. What we need is to have the political will nationally and statewide to put this right into the laws, right into the rules, right into our institutions. We can do this. Our tendency is to say, they did the crime, they do the time, put them in the garbage can, batten down the hatches, slam down the lid, I don't care anymore. When you teach in prisons, you get a slightly different angle. And what you see are a bunch of people that are going to be released and they're going to come back to your community. How do you want them coming back? I think with a healthy mind and some work skills and healthy food, not fed a lot of sugar and not kept out of the sunlight. Yeah, that's a, a noble uh, uh, goal for sure. Uh, and this sort of bringing this back to the, again, to the New York Times article, uh, which uh, claims that <laughs> we're taking too many, the elderly are taking too many supplements. Uh, they're hooked on They're hooked on supplements, that's what it was. <laughs> they're hooked on the supplements. Well, and, and the, the primary 
argument against that was because they have poor nutrition because of the, the lack of nutrient-dense food. So that reflects back to the point that we really should be creating our own food because you can't buy nutrient-dense food in most every supermarket available. And you'll say, well, how is that possible? Well, not too long ago, literally three generations, World War II, we had victory gardens. Mm -hmm. And my understanding is 50% of the produce grown in the United States was grown in people's backyards. Right. And we can do that again. We need to do that again. And, and if you don't have a backyard, you live in a condo or a townhouse, well, guess what? There's community garden spaces available. And there's window boxes. There's plants that'll grow indoors. There's uh, sprouts. Uh, I know you're an avid sunflower seed sprouter, and so am I. Uh, those things are tasty. You know, yeah. people who haven't tried this, you don't know what you're missing. Yeah. Sunflower sprouts, about three, four inches high, are just delicious. Yes, they are. I travel with them. They're easy to grow. And if you buy them at Whole Foods, uh, you're going to pay about $30 a pound. And if you grow them yourself, it's like 25 cents a pound. Right. <laughs> and it's a good way to teach the children and grandchildren because yeah. they see the seeds sprouting. And kids, you cannot keep them out of the kitchen if you're doing sprouting. They want to be in on it. They want yeah. to water. They want to help out. This is a way, well, I give you my grandchildren. You know my daughter was raised, my son was raised with all this natural healing, vitamin and good diet stuff. But now I get to see my grandchildren having the same experience. And it's a real rush because you can detect this right away in kids. They're drawn to it. They're just naturally drawn to nature and life and how things grow. The kids are right there and there's nothing more fun than watching kids do sprouting or gardening or juicing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And sprouting is really the perfect example because it's an accelerated program. Literally, from they'll see it from day one. They see the little germination occur, day two. And then literally in one week, they can actually harvest something, which might take months, closer to months when you're gardening. So it's a little delayed process, delayed gratification. But they get that immediate gratification when they're sprouting, which is great. That's right. And if you live on the 12th floor of a high rise, you can still sprout. Yeah. Or if you're in a dorm in a college, you can do it. No matter where you yeah. are, there's yeah. a way that we can do this. And, you know, we've been taught to be consumers of medical care instead of self-reliant people. We've been taught to be patients and not persons. To change this around, we have to give ourselves permission to take the power to do what our body should have been doing all along. We've been misled. And I think maybe profit has a little bit to do with this. The pharmaceutical industry is making an awful lot of dough these days. Uh, I know people that take pills that cost $1,000 a piece. So don't tell me I'm hooked on vitamins and I'm wasting my money and having expensive urine. I don't need to hear that. I find that taking vitamins uh, is very helpful to me and my children, my grandchildren. And for 41 years professionally now, I've seen it in so many people, and so have you. You get the letters, the testimonials, and you look around and you see this working. And if there's one thing we read, need right now, we need a healthcare system that works. Yes, indeed. You know, it's really interesting because the, we have so much disease and the conventional healthcare model is a, a progressively increasing disastrous failure and unfortunately, I, I don't really see a solution other than it getting worse and to the point where it's almost like an alcoholic who has to be in the gutter before he kind of wakes up and has an epiphany and, you know, and then gets, gets, gets off the, the drug. 
It's the same thing here. That we're gonna, the health system is going to have to go through a catastrophe before they realize what works, what's, what can we afford, what was really going to turn around disease. And the answer was here all along. They just were blinded by the pharmaceutical companies. So the New York Times could have had its headline read, Older Americans are hooked on excessive pharmaceutical medication. And then they would have been right. They would have been right on. And a year ago, Joe, they did that. Yeah. A year ago, they had that article. But now, maybe to help improve the bottom line, maybe because they want to attract advertisers that happen to be pharmaceutical companies, or maybe because they fired too many copy editors. This time, they didn't fact check. The simple yeah. truth is, the straight face test should be applied when you hear somebody tell you that vitamins are bad, but drugs are okay. Don't you love those TV commercials that rattle off all these wonderful benefits and then they give you the side effects and they say them real quickly and they say this side effect and that side effect and then they say, and death. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. This is on our TV sets. Our children are watching. And, and, and you know, in case you forgot, the United States is only one of two countries in the entire world where this is legal. You cannot do this anywhere else on the planet. It's the United States and New Zealand, I believe. You know, it's yeah. against the law to, to advertise, but you know, they figured this out literally 20 years ago now. I think it happened in the Clinton administration, if I'm not mistaken, where they changed the law and allowed the, the drug companies to go in. And it, it, it tends to happen in most governments over time after, you know, the United States has been around in nearly 250 years and you know, that's, it gets perverted over time and corrupted. And, well, and we should not necessarily do everything they did in ancient Rome. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I think we can do better. And I think people are, are turning on to this. I think that people are not a bunch of fools. I think folks, when they're given the truth, will make the right decision. Our problem is that an article like this in the New York Times is giving people something that is several notches away from truth. And that is reprehensible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. All right, any other comments you'd like to make on that or words of wisdom? Well, I'd like to say the most basic one. For people who think they can't, you're wrong, you can. You can do this, you can do this right away. You can eat better. One of the few free decisions we make every day is whether we will or will not exercise, whether we will or not eat this or that, whether we will or not say no to pharmaceutical drugs or over-the-counter drugs. Every single incremental advancement that you make is going to make your body happy, and you're going to see the difference. All you've got to do is try it. Yeah, and I would extend that because if you do try it and you are successful, as you likely will be, now you may need to be in consultation and guidance with a healthcare professional who understands this a little bit better than just applying it, although most of the time, 80% of the time is going to work just by itself. But once you do get better, you're not only helping yourself, Guess who else you're helping? Your friends and your family because they see the massive improvement and change. They're wondering, how did you do that? You know, what happened? And so you're going to inspire and catalyze others because you can preach to them, but the best way to lead is by example. Well, that's right. And it was Nobel Prize winning physician, Dr. Albert Schweitzer, who said, not only is example the best way to teach, it's the only way to teach. Yeah, good words to end on. Well, thank you for all you're doing. Uh, and have done and will do. You're a major inspiration to all of us. And thanks for uh, coming on to help us understand this flawed article in the New York Times. Thank you, Dr. McCall. It's a pleasure to be with you.